in verse 66 of chapter 14. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean, and your speech shows it. But he began to curse and to swear, I don't know this man of whom you're speaking. And a second time the rooster crowed, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Now I want you to stop for just a minute and keep your finger here and turn back to chapter 8, verse 29. Something that Peter spoke a few months before this. Chapter 8, verse 29, And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, back to chapter 14, verse 71. But he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you are speaking. At one point he's saying, you are Jesus. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I know who you are. And then in the next breath, a few months later, he says, couldn't be the next breath a few months later, I suppose. <laughs> Unless he held it for a long time. <laughs> but here in one spot, he goes, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. He just received a revelation from God. And then he says, Jesus who? I don't know this Jesus that you're speaking about. Is that possible? How can you go from an intimate, close relationship with Jesus Christ, a life that's bearing forth fruit, to saying, I don't know Jesus Christ? From a place of blessing, a place of revelation from God, this intimate friendship type relationship, to all of a sudden saying, I don't know Jesus. I don't know who you're speaking about. Now, no matter how you view this, whether you say, well, he really didn't mean that when he said you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I've seen commentators wrestle with this portion of Scripture, saying it's not possible for Peter to have said, uh, I don't know this man, if you really did know him. No matter how you view this, it did happen. And there are certain steps that we want to look at today. Backsliding is a process. It's not the decision of a moment. It's not instantaneous. You just don't decide to fall away from the Lord. Backsliding is a process of compromise. Much like Eve. Eve just didn't walk up to a tree and decide to eat it one day. First, she looked upon it. Then, she desired it. And then, she took of it. But it was a series of compromises that were made in her mind that day. And for Peter, this decision that he made was not an instantaneous, off-the-cuff kind of a decision. There was a process. And we want to show you those steps today. The original word backslide 
that's found often in the Old Testament originally has a beautiful meaning. It literally means to slide back over all the things that you have learned and reevaluate them. And so a person reevaluates Bible study and he says, sure, I've been taught that I need to read the Word, but I don't need to read the Word as much as I used to. Sure, I've been taught that we need to pray and be in close fellowship and have quiet time with God, but I've been so busy lately, surely I can just slack off a little bit in this area. Yes, I've been told I need to not forsake the fellowshipping of the saints and I should go to church and stay close with Christians, but I don't need to do that as much anymore now that I'm growing older in the Lord, becoming more mature, which usually means when he says that, stale. I don't need what I used to need and so you're sliding back over all those fundamental issues in your Christian life and you're reevaluating them. And you make little compromises on them. Yeah, you know, I used to be so on fire at work, but that is when I was a baby Christian. But now that I am more mature in the Lord and I know how to really live a witness, I don't need to be as zealous and on fire as I used to be. So we start going back over all of those things that we learned as a babe. And we start making compromises. We start reevaluating them. We're sliding back over all that we learned. Thus it was with the process of Peter. Realize this. Satan is no idiot. Satan goes fishing for Christians. Jesus said he was going to make you fishers of men. Satan is also a fisher of men. He goes out Christian fishing. He opens up his tackle box. He says, okay, boys, let's go catch some Christians today. Let's snag some Christians. So he opens up and he finds a Christian who really has a problem with the flesh. And so he brings out the, you know, the good-looking woman lure. And it's worked for thousands of years. It still works. He finds the person that, that is depressed has a lot of problems in his life. And he brings out the alcohol temptation or the drug temptation or the non-Christian relationship temptation. And he, used, he uses temptations and lures that will snag Christians from being fruitful in their walk or making compromising, sliding back over all of those issues. And he tosses in the lure. Now, he'll toss in the lure when he's fishing and many Christians will just swim right on by it. Some will swim around it and look at it and go, boy, that's good-looking bait. He might even try to nibble a little bit, but he'll eventually get caught. I remember when I was a boy, my dad took us fishing. He taught us how to fish in a place called Jess Ranch. Now, Jess Ranch was a pool that they would stock with trout. And the fish were just put in there to be snagged. The fish were smart in that pond because they'd seen hundreds of hooks every day. I'd throw my line in and they'd just swim right by didn't affect them. Put on the little, you know, the little fish eggs and all the, the cheese and all the stuff that you could find. They'd swim right by it. But every now and then a little young fish would come by who just kind of look at it and swim by and kind of come back and look at it again and start toying with it. Well, eventually he got caught. And there are many Christians who get too close to making these compromises. They just toy with the world a little bit, but pretty soon they get snagged. And this is the thing that happened with Peter. Now, we want to follow back at the beginning of chapter 14 some of the steps 
And we want to follow Peter. We want to follow this downhill stepping of Peter. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to go stage by stage to the place that Peter got to at the end of chapter 14 where he said, I don't know this Jesus whom you're speaking of. As we're reading this chapter, as we're going through the stages, these are a list of danger signs. You might want to write them down. There's five of them in this chapter. Five danger signs that you can avoid or you can check yourself because maybe you're in one of them this morning. Peter capped on all five of them. And as we're going to see, one compromise leads to another compromise. One stage downhill often leads to another. You start taking one and it's easy to take two. You start taking two and it's a lot easier to take three and then four and then finally the place of Peter. There's two scriptures I want to remind you of before we get started. As you're reading this, you might be already saying, well, that's Peter. That'll never, ever, ever happen to me. It says in the scriptures, he that thinks that he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. Because you're already displaying the first sign of a backslidden state, and that is self-confidence in yourself Strengthen yourself. Also, as we go through these, the other scripture is this. There is no temptation taken you, but such is common to every man. And God is faithful and he won't allow you to be tempted above what you are able to endure. And I have heard so many Christians so many times saying, oh, the temptation got too strong. I just wasn't strong enough and it was too much. I couldn't handle it. And, you know, uh, I could usually handle anything, but this one was just too much. Well, then you're saying that God goofed. Because God said He won't give you what you're not able to handle. If you can only spiritually lift 120 pounds, God's not going to break your back and make you lift 500 pounds. He knows what your limit is. He knows what you can take. And He won't allow you to be tested or tempted above what you're able to endure. And surely Peter was not tested above what he was able to endure, but he failed in that testing. The first step is that of self-confidence, and that's found in verse 29. Let's read verse 27. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Here we go, Peter again, verse 29. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Let's go on. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. So they all said, likewise. Peter was always outspoken. Always outspoken. He always seemed to say the dumbest thing at the, at the, just the, the timing was perfect. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, oh Lord, though all are offended because of you, I will never forsake you. I'd never deny you. Let me first say that I believe Peter meant this with all of his heart. I don't think this was a put on. I think Peter really meant it. And he really felt it. And inside he he, he felt he would never deny the Lord. I'll never do it. Ever, 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 Lord. 
And I believe that Peter's heart was sincere and that he meant it totally. But the problem is that his strength was in himself. I will never deny you. Now, in effect, he's saying this. He's saying, Jesus, you just don't know me. If you really knew me, Jesus, you'd never say that. Jesus then says in the next verse, in effect, Peter, I know you better than you know you. And before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. I do know you, Peter. But then in verse 31, Peter gets a little more adamant about it. He keeps denying what Jesus just said would happen. Have you ever felt the pain or the hurt of someone misjudging you? Have you ever said something or have done something and it was taken or received by the person the wrong way and you've been misjudged? I think that's the way Peter felt. Peter felt, oh, Jesus, you've misjudged me. How how could you, Jesus, say this about me? I'd never deny you know me. It's Peter. But Peter is about to be under the most disappointed time of his life. Have you ever been disappointed in yourself because you failed the Lord? Have you ever come to a place where you just felt so down and so bummed out and so disappointed in yourself? The reason you've been disappointed in yourself is because you've trusted in yourself. To be disappointed with self means to have trusted in self. If you didn't trust in yourself in the beginning, you'd never have a chance to be disappointed. Peter could have humbly come before the Lord after verse 30 and said, Jesus, if you say so, you're God. I humbly cast myself upon you and I just need your help. But instead he goes, no, I can handle it, Jesus. I'm strong. I'm not going to break or bend under pressure. Trusting in his strength. Trusting in himself. You know, Jesus knew Peter so well. He knew Peter inside and out. In fact, he named Peter. He called him, uh, well, he, he, named, he turned the name from Simon into Petra. One day, as we read in chapter 8, when they were at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they went through the list. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, congratulations. From now on, your name will be Petros, which means a tiny, small stone. And upon this Petra, this large mass of rock, I will build my church. You see, the church wasn't built upon Peter, the small, tiny stone. It was built upon the large stone, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter thought he was a large Petra, a large stone, strong, the Galilean fisherman. Jesus said, Peter, you're just a tiny little, tiny pebble. That's all you are. Well, Peter here says, I'm never going to deny you. I'm a strong, massive stone. But Jesus knew that he was just a little pebble. And that soon this little pebble would be ground to powder because he started by trusting in himself. Self-confidence. Yet Jesus says in verse 30 that he would deny him before the night was over. Peter at this point, this first step, was now further away from Jesus Christ than he'd ever been before because he took a step back. He's saying, Jesus, I'd rather do it myself. I can handle it. I'm strong enough. 
Think about the attitude of Peter compared to the attitude of the man who said, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. You know, if Peter would have just said that, Lord, I believe, and but oh, help me, I'm weak. Peter would have made it, but he didn't. First was self-confidence, trusting in himself. The next is in verse 32 and verse 37, that of unwatchfulness. Unwatchfulness. In verse 32, then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then verse 37, he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, now he's using his old name again. Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Pride and self-confidence always leads to unwatchfulness. The word watch means to be alert. Be on the alert, Peter, and be praying. Now Peter boastful has become Peter unwatchful. And Jesus analyzes the situation that's going on in Peter's heart and there's a touch of humor to it. He says, Peter, couldn't you watch one hour with me? What happened to this great promise and this fierce commitment that you had just a little while ago, Peter? You mean it couldn't even last an hour? You said you'd be with me to the death and it's only been an hour and you're sleeping already. What happened to this, this commitment and this promise that you had, Peter, that, oh, though all forsake me, you never would? Couldn't you only, couldn't you watch with me just an hour? Couldn't this great promise of yours just last at least an hour? And then he describes and tells us why Peter was failing. He says in verse 38, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation, for the spirit is truly willing, but the flesh is weak. He hit it right on the head. It's like this, Peter, I know that you love me. I know that in your heart, in your spirit, you don't want to deny me. But Peter, you're relying upon your flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, this is the nature of the flesh. The flesh is always independent, always self-confident. I can do it. I will never fail. I will be this. God, I promise. How many times have you made promises and oaths to God? And the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And under those trying times, under testing, the flesh fails. So Peter was relying on the flesh. He says, Peter, the spirit is truly ready or willing, but the flesh is weak. Now we see this process of backsliding from this top level of intimate relationship with the Lord Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, this revelation of God. Now we see the next step down. Self-confidence, unwatchfulness. You see, he's relying on himself, and a person that trusts in himself doesn't trust the Lord, doesn't look to the Lord. I don't need to watch and pray like I used to watch and pray. Because I'm strong. I can handle it. I don't need the strength of God as much. I don't need to pray. I don't need to read the Word. I don't need quiet time. I don't need fellowship. Thus Peter falls asleep. Oh, sleepy Christians. So many places. Turning from that place of confidence in God to confidence in self and they become lazy and slothful and sleepy. 
and the farther away. And the longer you stay away from God, the weaker you will become. Jesus, I can handle it. I'm a strong Christian. Old Peter, the little pebble. And Peter, the little pebble, begins to fall asleep. And Jesus said, couldn't you watch with me an hour? Watch. Be ready. Be on the alert and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. For the spirit is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. This is the end of side one. Please turn cassette tape over for side two. I think that you will be attacked in your Christian walk in the area of prayer more than any other area. Next time you decide to spend quiet time with God or pray or get alone in the Word and just spend time with God, just you can expect the phone to ring, the door to uh, somebody to knock on the door, an interruption. And the church is weak because the church is weak in prayer and in watching. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so now the lures, the bait that Satan put out in the pond, they're working for Peter. Peter's beginning to be sifted. I'd like to share with you a little story that I have a booklet. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And the story, this is just a segment of it. The man is walking through a room of his house, and this is the drawing room. And he is painting the picture as our hearts being where Jesus dwells as a house with different rooms in it. And he says this, This room was rather intimate and comfortable. I liked it. It had a fireplace, overstuffed chairs, a bookcase, a sofa, and a quiet atmosphere. He also seemed pleased with it. And he said, This indeed is a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet, and we can have fellowship together. He promised, I will be here every morning early. Meet with me here and we will start the day together. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the drawing room and he would take a book of the Bible from the bookcase. He would open it up and then we would read together. He would tell me of its riches and unfold to me its truths. He would make my heart warm as he revealed his love and his grace toward me. They were wonderful hours together. In fact, we called the drawing room the withdrawing room. It was a period when we had our quiet time together. But little by little, under the pressure of many responsibilities, this time began to be shortened. Why, I don't know, but I thought it was just too busy to spend time with Christ. I remember one morning when I was in a hurry, rushing down the steps, eager to be on my way. As I passed by the drawing room, the door was ajar. Looking in, I saw a fire in the fireplace and the Lord sitting there. Suddenly, in my dismay, I thought to myself, He was my guest. I had invited him into my heart. He had come as the Lord of my home, and yet here am I neglecting him. I turned and I went in. With a downcast glance, I said, Blessed Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you that I'd be here every morning to meet with you. Then I was even more ashamed. He had been faithful in spite of my faithlessness. I asked his forgiveness, and he really forgave me as he does when we are truly penitent. He said, The trouble with you is this. You have been thinking of the quiet time, of the Bible study, and of the prayer time as a factor in your own spiritual progress. But you have forgotten that this hour means something to me also. Remember, I love you. I have redeemed you at great cost. I desire your fellowship. 
Now, he said, do not neglect this hour, if only for my sake. Whatever else may be your desire, remember, I want your fellowship. Jesus, when he asked Peter to pray, it wasn't, Peter, just pray for yourself, but I need some help. I need I need that strength and that courage of people around me interceding with me. I want this time with you. But Peter, confident in himself that he could go through a day without spending time with Jesus Christ, went through the day without spending time with Jesus Christ. He'd become unwatchful. He'd been taken off guard. And now we get to the next step. Well, look at verse 38 again. Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And this is what we're going to see happen now. The spirit is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. And he went away and prayed and he spoke the same words. And then in verse 44, now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, this is the one. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. Guess who that was? Good old Peter. Now, Peter was not aiming for his ear. He was aiming for his head. He just happened to be a bad shot because he was a fisherman, not a swordsman. Peter, because he had become boastful and then unwatchful, slacking in his devotion, tried to make up for it. This is called zeal without knowledge. He was determined to show Jesus Christ that he was going to keep his promise. I will never leave you. So in the flesh, he takes out and he starts, he's fighting for God. He's going to defend God. Come on, God, I'm going to defend you. Don't worry, here I am. And he slices the guy's ear off. In another gospel, Jesus has to take his ear and put it back on and just say, Peter, knock it off. Peter's still trying to handle it in the flesh. The curse of the church has often been zeal without knowledge. People with a great zeal for God, but not channeled by God, they still do things in the flesh. I've seen people come and they have been away from the Lord and they've blown it and they come back and they rededicate their lives to God. And the immediate thing they want to do is, now I'm going to be in the ministry. Now I want to serve God. Well, that's great, but just hold on a little bit. Because often it's promoted by their guilt. Because I've been away from God, now I have to make up for it and do something. And I'll go out and I'll preach the gospel in Africa. Hey, slow down. Go back and do the first works, as it says in Revelation. Go back from the beginning. Spend time with God. Get direction. Don't just step ahead of God and mess things up. And so the result of Peter's unwatchfulness was a zeal without knowledge. And then we get to verse 53. And the next step is Peter begins to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 53, they led Jesus away to the high priest and with him were assembled all of the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance. Do you see the steps? First, self-confidence. He's not relying on God as much as he used to rely on God. He's saying, Jesus, I am strong in myself. Just hands off, I can handle it. So he's relying on himself instead of the Lord as much as he used to. That brings him to the second stage 
of unwatchfulness. He's not spending time with the Lord in his devotions like he used to. He's slacking off. Then we get to this next step where he starts to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. He's following Jesus, oh yes, but he's following Jesus at quite a distance, afar off. It says he followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. (laughs) Peter wouldn't have been caught dead in the courtyard of the high priest a month ago. Here he is, sitting down, warming himself by the fire, as it says at the last part of verse 54. He sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Peter's still following Jesus Christ. But see, each step is a little further away. Now he's following him, but at a distance. He's still making those compromises in his heart. First it was, I don't need to pray and spend time in the Word like I used to. I can slack off a little bit on that. I don't need to spend as much time in fellowship as I used to. The next compromise is being ashamed. A person says this, Hey, I don't need to preach the gospel where I am. I don't need to speak it. I'll just live a witness. Well, that's wonderful. But if you're living a witness, they need to know verbally where it comes from. Now, the tragedy is so many people verbalize the gospel and don't live it, but it's equally as tragic to live a godly life and not share with them how that they can experience it too. So now he's compromising on his witness. He's beginning to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. All of those important things, he's now sliding back over them, reevaluating them and making decisions. And he's following Jesus as a, at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. You see, Jesus isn't popular anymore. At one time, Jesus was popular. And what did they want? Hey, Lord, let me sit at your right hand. I want to sit with you in the kingdom, one at your right and one at your left. Remember, that's what James and John said. And they all were vying for position because Jesus was popular. Well, now Jesus isn't so popular. Now, Peter is still following Jesus, but he doesn't want to be identified with Jesus. To where pretty soon he'll be denying Jesus out and out. The next step is again verse 54. And that is worldliness. It says that, And he sat down with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Again, follow the steps. Self-confidence. Lack of devotion. Being ashamed of Jesus Christ. And now he's sitting down with the enemies of Jesus Christ. He's warming himself at the fires of the ungodly. His walk is slowing down. It's beginning to be stagnant. What does it say in Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the seat of the, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You see, he's slowing down. First he's walking, then he's standing, then he's sitting. Peter is slowing down and he's not really walking anymore, but he's sitting, warming himself in the camp of the enemy by the enemy's fires. He's sitting down, getting warm here in verse 54. You know, I think it's very good to be uncomfortable in this world. I get sort of scared and worried when I see Christians getting too comfortable in this world. Getting their roots down too much. Not having a light touch with the world. That's sort of scary. I think it's good to be a little bit uncomfortable. Because we're only visiting this planet. 
We're here for a short time. Our roots eternally are not here. We don't have enough time to have a love affair with this world. So Peter, who is ashamed, now starts settling in, sitting down, being warmed by the enemy's fires. Now we get to verse 66 that we read at the beginning. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. One compromise had led to another. When a person reaches this stage of making compromises in his walk with Jesus Christ, he's in sort of a limbo. He feels like he doesn't fit anywhere. He feels like he doesn't fit in the world because he still claims to be a Christian and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But he feels like he doesn't fit around Christians because he has blown it and been out of fellowship. So he feels like he's in limbo. So he starts looking around at what the world has to offer. See, when you're outside of fellowship, you begin to get cold. You want to get warm once again. And so Peter here is looking at the fires of the enemy. I think it's sad. Often when people need fellowship the most, need to be close to God the most, they get farther away from God. I've talked to people and they say, well, I've just been blowing it in my walk with the Lord lately, so I haven't been in fellowship. That doesn't make sense. That's why you need to be in fellowship. That's why you need to get closer to the Lord. But they often are deceived. So this maid comes up to Peter and says, hey, as he's warming himself by the fire, you were with Jesus of Nazareth and notice Peter's response, but he denied it saying, I don't know, nor do I understand what you're even saying. You know, Jesus who? Who's he? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed the first time. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. Now, immediately Peter's defenses are up. You see, he's becoming blatantly ashamed of Jesus Christ. Hey, you were with him. No, not me. His defenses are up, but this pesky little maid is on his tail and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me look at your face. Yeah, I, I never forget a face. I knew you were with him. I've seen you with him. I'm sure at this point, Peter could have gladly choked her to death. Just lay off. But she keeps saying, yeah, no, wait a minute. I know you're denying it, but yeah, I've seen you with him. But he says, I don't understand what you're saying. And the servant girl, verse 69, saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them, and he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. Your speech shows it. He couldn't hide it. Galileans were considered hicks to those in Jerusalem. Those in Galilee spoke with an accent and if you went down to Judea, to Jerusalem, you could readily tell, hey, this guy isn't from around here. He's got to be from Galilee. And so, you know, it's like uh, a hick in New York City. They could tell that he's not from the city. He says, your speech gives it away. I know that you're a Galilean. I know that you were with him. And then in verse 71, he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you are speaking. I don't know this man of whom you are speaking. Lord, though all forsake you and be offended, yet not I. And he began to curse and swear and says, I do not know this man from whom you are speaking. Follow the steps with me one more time. 
Lord, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. I don't need to rely on you as much. God, you've made a mistake. I am strong. That leads to not trusting in God as much, not spending as much time with God. Peter became unwatchful, slacking off in his devotions. That step needs to, leads to the next step. He began to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Following him, yes, but following him at a distance. That led to worldliness. He was outside of Jesus Christ. He began to get cold. He's now with people that he wouldn't be caught dead with a month ago, doing the same things that they're doing, loving the same things they're loving. And when you get close, that close, to the enemy's fires, the next step, you're that close to denying the Lord. See, it's not an overnight decision. Little compromises, one at a time. To where Peter, who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, this revelation that I've received from God, I know who you are, said, Jesus who? I don't know who you're talking about. You've got me mistaken with somebody else. And they said, No, you're a Galilean. We can tell. But he had made those steps. Peter is now sitting in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man who walks not, nor does he stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Peter's sitting with them, sitting with their enemies, swearing and cursing, denying the Lord. But the last verse is the verse I love the best, and that is Peter's repentance. And a second time the rooster crowed and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he thought about it and he wept. The word for wept there means that he threw himself down on the ground in agony and wept remorsefully. Peter realized his conscience began to just beat at him. He knew that he denied the Lord. He'd seen now how he'd, he'd taken all of those steps. One step was okay. He didn't notice it, but now he'd come so far. He drifted away so much and he's repenting. He's crying remorsefully. And he remembered the words that Jesus said before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter is now like the prodigal son who said, I will arise and go to my father. That's the way Peter felt. And the beautiful thing about this story is that it doesn't end here. Jesus receives him back. Jesus said way before this, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. You're going to blow it. You're going to fall on your face. But when you are restored, strengthen your brethren. He was restored. Right after the resurrection, when Jesus Christ appeared to the two ladies, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter, that I'm risen from the dead. He had a special note for Peter. You go tell all my disciples and Peter that I'm, I'm alive. I've risen from the dead. And Jesus, after his resurrection, spent quality time with Peter, restoring him to that position, loving him and forgiving him. Oh, Peter realized at this point, I've strayed from God. But he just didn't walk away from that. He cried remorsefully. He repented and Jesus received him back. You know, when you're far from the Lord, you begin to feel cold. By the way, if this morning you feel far from God, guess who moved? It wasn't God. But when you are at a distance from God, you begin to feel cold. You want warmth. You want intimacy again with Jesus Christ. 
The tragic thing is you often look for it in other places. Hey, if you're following Jesus at a distance today, the best, safest thing for you to do is to immediately return to Him and let Him receive you back. Where are you at with the Lord today? In any of these steps, any of these five categories, boasting in yourself, that could lead to worse things. Are you slacking off in your devotions? Is it because you've been trusting in yourself? Are you ashamed of Jesus Christ? Don't look at yourself and just be ashamed. Turn back to Jesus Christ. Jesus will receive you even as He received Peter as He cried here in verse 